0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for A veteran Story on AmericasWebRadio.com. Today, we will continue the interview from last week with Vietnam veteran, lawyer, and professor Bob Turner. His remarkable resume can be reviewed on my website, veteransarticle.com. Just click on radio shows and read his resume. It is indeed the most remarkable resume I've ever read in my life. Bob, welcome back to the show.
2: Pete, it's a great pleasure and honor to be back.
1: Thank you, sir. All right, let's go with the first question. Last week, we discussed the allegation that the United States violated the 1954 Geneva agreements by blocking the free elections in Vietnam scheduled for July of 1956. How do you respond to that accusation?
2: Well, the easy answer is, uh, and the Pentagon Papers, by the way, are excellent on this because they have the original documents and the various cables that went back and forth from Geneva and the State Department. Uh, there were two documents that were uh, related to Vietnam that came out of the, uh, the Geneva Conference. One was a ceasefire agreement negotiated in secret by the communist Viet Minh headed by Pham Ben-Dong, who later became prime minister of North Vietnam, and uh, the uh, the French military. Uh, We had nothing to do with that. We didn't see it, and we didn't agree to it. The second document was called the final declaration of the conference. It was not signed by anyone because neither the United States nor South Vietnam would agree to sign it. Uh, and both South Vietnam and the United States took the public position that, with respect to reunification elections, uh, we would uh, 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 we would support elections that were supervised by the United Nations to ensure they were f- uh, fairly conducted. Uh, and Molotov, the Soviet delegate, co-chair of the convention. Uh, and Pham Van Dong said that would be interference in the internal affairs of the Vietnamese people and refused to allow (laughs) supervision. So we were not bound by anything other than we said we would not use force to disrupt the agreements.
1: Okay. All right, there's still the question in some uh, circles of whether we were on the wrong side. Anti-war advocates uh, repeatedly quoted uh, President Eisenhower's autobiography Mandate for Change to the effect that communist Ho Chi Minh would have won 80% of the vote. Is that true?
2: It's not true at all. It was I was involved in over 100 debates, panels, uh, teach-ins, and other programs before I went in the military from 65 to 68. And almost every one of them, somebody raised this quote, and so I actually wrote President Eisenhower. Uh, what he said in Mandate for Change was he had not spoken with anyone knowledgeable about Indochinese affairs who did not agree that Ho Chi Minh would win a free election uh, against Bao Dai by eighty percent of, at least eighty percent of the vote. Now, Baudet was a a French puppet. He lived on the Riviera. He signed whatever the French put in front of him, and in return, they gave him a casino, a a real nice place to live, a Ferrari to drive, uh, and so forth. Uh, He was a, you know, he had totally sold out his country. And, uh, uh, you know, it probably is true that you or I would have gotten 80% of the vote against him. <laughs> uh, but again, Ike also said, as of the time of the fighting, which was 1954, by the, the by, by July of 1956, uh, the aspirational date for reunification elections, North Vietnam had, had go, gone through a really horrible imitation of Chinese communism, including a land reform, that killed tens of thousands of uh, so-called landlords and led to a rebellion in Ho Chi Minh's home province of Neon Province. So, you know, Ho's popularity in the North was not all that great by 1956, and in the South, it was much worse. Uh, Note: NCM, the president who was later elected uh, president of South Vietnam, or it was originally the state of Vietnam, was very different. He was a very respected nationalist. uh, Ho Chi Minh had actually tried to recruit him to hold a a very senior position in the Viet Minh government. uh, What what would have been a total figurehead, but the reason was he was so popular with other other patriots. Uh, and he he defeated uh, Bao Dai in an election in 55, overwhelmingly. Uh, he was attacked by the communists, and that was picked up by the American media and others. But I'll tell you a quick story. Back in 71, I was driving back to Saigon from Mito uh, with Kong Tung, who was, in my view, probably the most important defector of the war. He was the equivalent of a colonel, and he was the chief of... Propaganda, education, training, and culture in the province where the uh, communists alleged the resistance had begun. And I asked him, "What did you think of Zim?" And he said, "When we heard he had been killed, we thought it must be some sort of a trick, because the Americans could not be so foolish as to allow anything to happen to Zim. We senior party leaders viewed him as, you know, a, a great patriot." In the league with Ho Chi Minh, but because he would not follow the party's leadership, we had to discredit him. But we used our propaganda to pretend he was an American puppet and so forth. So, uh, uh, I, and I mentioned I wrote like a letter. His publisher responded on his behalf and said, "You are correct. He is being misquoted." And I used to, I take the book with me when I went to debates. Uh, I'd, I'd say it's too bad. You know, Mr. Oglesby, I I debated the president of SDS once, didn't quote the full sentence, and then I'd read him the sentence, and then I'd pull out a copy of the letter, and I'd slide it all down to Oglesby when I finished. So this was just total mythology.
1: Wow. All right, uh, this is something I really uh, am looking forward to your response. In April 1971, John Kerry testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee That the United States was, and I quote, behaving in a manner reminiscent of Genghis Khan in the way we fought the Vietnam War, and that war crimes were just part of our policy and they were just very common. Your response, sir?
2: Well, with all due respect, and in this case not much respect is due, Kerry was lying through his teeth. First of all, in 1965, the Saigon representative of the International Committee of the Red Cross sent General Westmoreland a letter saying that never in the history of warfare had a military gone to greater lengths to protect the uh, law of armed conflict and the rights of its enemies. Westy had said, other than in cases of terrorism, the United States would give Viet Cong combatants the full protections of the Third Geneva Convention, the POW Convention, even though no one would argue they were entitled to it. They were not a country, uh, and uh, uh, it, it didn't apply. Uh, Kerry came back, and there was no indication he was against the war. He ran for Congress in Massachusetts, and to his shock, he was defeated, because by then the people of Massachusetts were angry about the Vietnam War and had no use for a Vietnam War hero. So he looked around for a cause to get publicity so he could become president someday, and he found the Vietnam Veterans Against the War, which was headed by a Black Panther named Al Hubbard, who pretended to be a former a med- medically discharged Air Force captain and pilot who had been seriously wounded while landing his plane in Da Nang. In fact, Hubbard, after more than a decade in the Air Force, uh, had, was, had risen to the rank of E-5, uh, which you usually get in your first two or three years in the military, uh, and, and which would, he supervised the loading of cargo planes. Uh, His jacket showed he didn't even have the Vietnam service ribbon, which means he didn't even land in Vietnam for five minutes to, you know, know, he was a total fraud. Uh, He also was probably a member of the Communist Party because we learned from FBI documents that they paid his way to... uh, an o i n to Paris on various trips, a propaganda trip, so you know yes, he did go to Vietnam, but it was only as a as a communist leader after after his part or, you know after he left the military he he did have a big scar that he used to show people, but it was from a, a, a surgery following a soccer injury, not combat in Vietnam. so uh he was a total fraud and, and I would add that most of the swift boat officers who served with John Kerry in Vietnam formally came out against him when he ran for president. Now, that, that's rare. The bonds you build you know, as a soldier in wartime, as you know, are very strong. Uh, I'd also note that he put on with my, I just started my second tour in Vietnam in January of 71 when uh, Kerry launched his winter soldier investigation in Detroit bringing forth a whole bunch of Vietnam veterans testifying about the war crimes they had committed and witnessed. And it turned out many of his witnesses had either never been in the military or, if they had, uh, had served as uh, a supply clerk in South Carolina or a, a helicopter mechanic in Germany and didn't get near Vietnam. Finally, uh, Kerry went on Meet the Press uh, just before his uh, April seventy-one uh, testimony before the Foreign Relations Committee. That's where he made uh, a lot of these comments about war crimes. He went back on Meet the Press in nineteen, or in two thousand one. And was asked, "Do you still stand by the comments you made about war crimes back in uh, '71?" And he said, "Oh, those were just the, angry war, or the or those were just the words of an angry young man. In reality, our soldiers in Vietnam behaved as honorably as in any other war." Uh, he didn't apologize to the soldiers he had defamed or to the country he had misled, but, uh, and, and uh, uh, finally, he was not a war hero. I actually knew, uh, when I knew him, he was a captain and then admiral, uh, Bill Shakti. But Shakti, as a lieutenant, was in charge of the boat that on December second, 1968, uh, went out off the coast of uh, South Vietnam, off of Mekong Delta, uh, and was trying to draw fire. And they had some fairly heavy-hitting boats out there that were going to return the fire if they got fired upon. They weren't fired upon. They did hear some some uh, some noise or some motion, and so they, uh, uh, they fired a few rounds, seeing if they could draw fire. Uh, it didn't come back, but in the process, Kerry's M-16 jammed. He picked up an M-79 grenade launcher, pointed it almost straight up, just an idiot, fired it. It apparently hit a rock or something that was above the surface of the water, and one piece of shrapnel hit his arm. And he went back, and, uh, and, and Admiral Shakti told me, Bob, there was absolutely no enemy contact, so there was no uh, uh, no chance of you know, getting a Purple Heart for it. But uh, and, and Kerry went back and told his uh, commander he wanted a Purple Heart and was told, you know, get back to work. And then after that guy rotated... Uh, Kerry w- went into the new commander and said, oh, I forgot to put it for my Purple Heart. And, you know, an officer's word is his bond. So he got himself a Purple Heart. Uh, his uh, Another Purple Heart, his official biography, tells the story that he and a special forces lieutenant were on the land. Uh, they found a cache of V.C. rice. They each dropped a frag grenade into it to scatter it. And then when the, when the, the, uh, lieutenant, the army lieutenant stood behind a tree, Kerry just walked away and got a piece of shrapnel in his butt. Later that and they laughed about it. Later that day Kerry was out of the water and one of the swift boats across the river from him was hit by a mine. No damage to Kerry's boat and his crew members said that. but Kerry put in a, 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 a form saying that during that attack he had gotten a piece of shrapnel in his butt and that got him another purple heart. Uh, his silver star was was no better. Uh, he uh, his, his, his VC popped up out of a spider hole in the shore, fired an RPG at Kerry's boat. It did not arm. Uh, he probably didn't pull the. There's a little patch that that arms uh, of RPGs. Uh, hit the boat, uh, broke some glass, but didn't explode. The machine gunner then turned on the 16, 17 year old kid, who had fired it and hosed him down with an M60. Uh, the kid fell to the ground and then got up unarmed, trying to limp away, and Kerry landed the boat, ran down the trail, fired his M-16, and came back and put himself in for a, for a silver star. Uh, so this guy was despicable, he was a liar, and he should not be given any uh, you know, serious attention uh, other than as a uh, despicable, self-serving, uh, uh, let's delete the expletives that come to mind.
1: Wow. All right. Thank you, Bob. We're going to our first break. We'll be right back. Folks, stay with us.
0: Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from lawyers to citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please go to our website, warriors and find out how you can help either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you.
1: All right, folks, welcome back. We're uh, discussing several topics with Vietnam veteran, lawyer, and Professor Bob Turner. Bob, you are a knowledge expert on international communism. Your resume is beyond reproach. As you watch the behavior of the far left in America, do you see any parallels with behavior that was common as the communists took over uh, several countries around the world?
2: Uh, Yeah, Pete, I I actually spent about a decade of my life focused on communism, including uh, two army tours working for the North Vietnamese Viet Cong Affairs Division of the embassy. Later, I was a fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution, uh, and uh, I wrote the first major English language history of Vietnamese communism and served as the associate editor for Asia and the Pacific of the yearbook on international communist affairs. So I, I have followed communism, and there's some tremendous parallels, uh, and also with other authoritarian movements like Hitler's Third Reich. Uh, one of the goals is to turn the people against enemies of the people. Hitler focused upon Jews and, and others, uh, the North Vietnamese focused upon landowners, uh, uh, the you know the Democrats like to blame uh, uh, corporations and the wealthy and uh, and so forth. But the the, the goals are similar. Uh, another one is to suppress ideas that challenge party doctrine. And one of the things that the left is fond of doing is if you say something they don't like, they call you a racist. Uh, And they use social media to try to silence you. They did that beautifully against Trump when they And and for example, when the New York Post reported on Hunter Biden's uh, corrupt deals that that Joe Biden was certainly involved in, uh, they just silenced him and blocked him from access to social media. So the voters didn't learn about those things until after the election. Uh, the use of thugs like Antifa to beat up or intimidate critics is also a common theme. The use of propaganda to gain the loyalty of children and turn them against their parents. We're now teaching kindergartners that, uh, you know, white people are your enemy. Uh, and uh, it, it is just uh, it is sad, uh, but it also does bring back uh, bills, Uh uh, big, big, big memories. Uh, another one is promising special benefits to special interest groups to gain their support, uh, like reparations for blacks or paying off student loans. Uh, a big one is purging the military of people who might be disloyal to the new regime. You know, the, uh, the Biden people are now apparently what? trying to kick out of the military anybody who's patriotic about uh, calling them, oh, they're, they're really racist and white supremacists, but it appears the net is much wider than that, and uh, so uh, there are tremendous, uh, uh, you know, parallels.
1: Well, you mentioned uh, reparations. That's basically paying money to the African-American community for the evils of slavery, even though this country fought a civil war over the issue that cost a half a million American lives. Uh, Does this make sense to you? Let me
2: preface this by a a, a very quick story. Uh, In September of 1948, I was four and a half years old, and my big brother came home from school in Atlanta and used the N-word, which I don't think I'd ever heard. But I'd never seen my dad get so angry. And he called me in, and he lectured us, and he said, and I remember this verbatim after more than 70 years, he said, every time you use that word, you tell everyone who hears you that you are ignorant. And more importantly, you tell them that I am ignorant, and I will not have that. That's verbatim. Uh, He then lectured us about judging people not by the color of their skin, but by the character of their heart, and so forth. What? Thomas Jefferson used to call the the natural aristocracy of man based upon virtue and talent. Uh, I found it totally persuasive. I didn't fully understand. I didn't know there was a race problem. I'd seen black people and white people, but all oh, that was above me. But after that, when I was able to read and saw the whites-only signs at drinking fountains and restrooms and stuff, it outraged me, and I was a great fan watching the success of the civil rights movement trying to get equal rights before the law of of blacks so uh but having said that uh the uh, uh this this whole uh, reparations thing is it, just absurd uh you know it, it totally ignores the very positive role played by many whites over the centuries in opposing slavery. Uh, people like Thomas Jefferson, for example, uh, who was a, a very strong critic of slavery. Ninety percent of the Union casualties in the Civil War were white. Uh, there was, you know, when Martin Luther King led the march across the bridge in Selma, the Klan murdered three people that day. All three were whites who would come down from New England, or from the north, one from Chicago, I think, to help Dr. King. Uh, 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 When Congress passed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act in the mid-50s, there were three black members of the House of Representatives, none in the Senate. Uh, The legislators, and uh, the the support was overwhelmingly from Republicans, not Democrats, uh, was uh, responding to letters they were getting from mostly white constituents around the country who had seen uh, newspaper accounts with, with video of bull Connor and his German shepherds, you know, biting uh, and turning fire hoses on peaceful protesters, and that was unacceptable. So, there just is a a long history of uh, of, of Americans of all colors working together for uh, for racial equality and so forth. And uh, uh, but another factor on this, if we want to uh, hold accountable people who share the color with people responsible for slavery, we need to recognize that when British ship captains and Dutch and other European ship captains arrived in West African ports, uh, they did not pass out clubs to their crew members and say, go out in the jungle and bring me back some slaves. There were slave markets set up in the middle of the cities near the the docks, and and they bought them. And you and I know, obviously everyone knows today, that slavery was a moral evil, and they should not have Taking part in it, I call them the original multiculturalists. They said, "Well, this is the African, uh, uh, you know, uh, accepted standard, and so I should not challenge it. And besides, that there's a buck to be made on this." Uh, So, you know, they they did bring slaves to America, but the idea that we would go after people who share the same color as the guys on the boat who transported the slaves, and not go after. People of the same color of the people who enslaved them, put them in chains, uh, and where we, I would add that slavery was legal in parts of Africa well into the 1980s. This is the, you know we outlawed it uh, with the 13th Amendment at the end of the Civil War, but you know there's blame to go around, and for, finally, of course, an awful lot of whites and blacks who are now in America uh you know are descendants of people who came here long after the end of slavery uh you know the, the, the Barack Obama had a black father uh, uh all of his american relatives were white and thus if they had any role in slavery it was presumably as slave traders or slave owners and yet he would want his share of the uh uh you know of the reparations it, it's it's just uh it, it's outrageous uh uh, to mention one more example if we you know the Constitution prohibits what 's called corruption of blood in Article three, section three that means you cannot punish someone for the crimes of their father but if, if we 're going to do that, uh, Joseph Kony is an African warlord, warlord from Uganda, and the International Criminal Court in Rome recently convicted one of his lieutenants, and they have a, an arrest warrant out for him for having murdered tens of thousands of people and displaced hundreds of thousands more. Uh, If there are black Americans who think they're entitled to reparations because whites uh, are guilty of wrongdoing because they share skin color with other whites who did things that were perfectly legal at the time, but we now find abhorrent. Uh, Why aren't these people showing up in Rome and saying, please try me for the murderous war crimes of joseph coney i mean i'm black and he was black if if, if skin color makes us guilty uh it, it just it just makes no sense and, and the sad thing is we're we've made so much progress uh and, and you know things are still not where they need to be but uh in uh in in so many areas of you know, black income is rising faster than white income uh today uh uh, uh, the number of blacks with high school degrees has gone up tremendously since 2000, the same with college degrees. Uh, black income now is uh, nearly half of black families make over, they make nearly $50,000 a year. That's a tremendous improvement over what it was like when I was young. No, we're, we're not there yet, but we're going the right way, and we ought to understand the struggle for civil rights was a black-white uh, joint effort. Yes, there were racist on both sides, but overwhelmingly the American people want to see blacks succeed. I,
1: I think you're absolutely right, sir. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> I've been reading up on Black Lives Matter, and boy, I've been shocked by what i found. But they do assert that police kill unarmed young black men at, at least twice the rate in which... they kill unarmed white men. That would be a clear evidence of racism. Are they right on that?
2: No, they're not right, and the assumption in that statement is that blacks and whites commit crimes at the same level. And that's true of most blacks and and, and whites. Uh, But there is a subculture in our inner cities that uh, uh, does not follow that pattern. The Department of Justice keeps detailed records of these things, and you know, they don't always know the race of the shooter in a murder, but in those cases that they do, for 2019, they concluded that nearly 54% of all murders and non-negligent homicides, by 54, 50, nearly 53% of all armed robberies were committed by blacks, and their victims were usually black. Uh, that you know, if you, you this, we're talking about, for the most part, young black males, 17 to 29 or so in age. Uh, blacks make. Uh, last week they issued a new census report, and they said blacks are now 14 percent. They had been saying 13 percent of the population. Uh, young males is certainly going to be less than half of that, and so we're talking about uh, you know a, a, a murder rate that, that's at least. Seven and perhaps as much as 10 times more than the white murder rate. And and because of that, blacks are having more interactions in the inner cities uh, with cops, not because the cops are racist or evil, but because that's who's committing the crimes. And thus, you know, one might expect that a much higher number or percentage of, uh, of blacks would be killed in, uh, in interactions with police. And when you look at the cases that they do use, uh, most of them involve blacks who have who have criminal records and have committed crimes uh... and uh, uh, are resisting arrest uh... it's tragic but uh, uh... trying to uh... to say this is proof of uh, of racism and we should shut down the police and so forth uh... it is uh... it is just tragic we are we are driving people out of the business of law enforcement uh, people, law, uh, police officers are retiring at record rates and because of that crime, uh, crime in the inner cities is skyrocketing and is killing uh, especially young black males uh, uh, by the way the overwhelming majority of both the shooters and their victims have long criminal records so we're talking largely about uh, gang violence and drug, drug you know, violence and so forth but it's tragic uh, and uh, we need to address it. It's not a black problem. It's an American problem. And in, instead of uh, going after our police, we ought to be strengthening our police. Yeah, there are cops that are racist. There are cops that uh, make very bad judgment decisions. And there are even a, a, a small number of cases where cops murder black people uh, and, and then pretend that you know something happened that just didn't happen. But uh, but most of these cases. Uh, if the uh, uh, if the person who died had not been resisting arrest and, and did not have a, you know was not engaged in criminal behavior, uh, they would not have been hurt.
1: I understand. Good comments, uh, folks. We're going to our second break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us
0: reach our goal. Thank you.
1: All right, folks, uh, we're back with uh, um, Vietnam veteran, lawyer, and professor Bob Kerner. We're talking about uh, <laughs> current events in America right now. It's very interesting. Bob, with a with title like Black Lives Matter, I mean, to me, all lives matter, but with a title like that, would, would, would it not be helpful in improving race relations and also protecting lives of black people? But has that
2: happened? Um, It's a tragic situation. I I, I should mention, uh, the Department of Justice keeps incredibly good records. And the uh, Obama Justice Department issued a report showing that between 1980 and 2008, 93% of black murder victims were killed by black perpetrators. So, you know, that's the problem we're dealing with now uh what black lives matter has done is first of all intimidated police officers uh to the point that some just will not do their job because they're terrified they're going to be accused of racism and fired or m- killed or what have you as i mentioned the 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 retirement rate has got has exploded recruitment now of law enforcement officers is very difficult And the end result of this has been a dramatic increase in murders, overwhelmingly black-on-black murders. Uh, It has actually been suggested, and I have not done the math, but it strikes me as being quite possible, that Black Lives Matter has caused the deaths of more young black men than were lynched by the Klan throughout its entire history. We're talking about thousands of, 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 of people and uh, it didn't have to happen, it's just, uh, it's just tragic, and uh, uh, Black Lives Matter did a good PR job. Uh, the American people heard that cops were racist because they were killing a disproportionate number of blacks, and they were outraged by that, and uh, the Ford Foundation and other people gave Black Lives Matters over $10 billion. To use in its cause. In fact, Black Lives Matter was run by, was created by openly Marxist uh, radicals. One of whom apparently has spent, has bought three expensive houses around the country with uh, with money Black Lives Matter has been given. Uh, at least I've I've, I've heard that. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the the net effect of Black Lives Matter is to uh, uh, undermine law enforcement to drive policemen out of the business of law enforcement uh, and uh, to increase the murder and, and other crimes. Another thing it has done is compromise our justice system. Today if you are a prosecutor judge or juror and you go in to consider a case and make decisions on whether to prosecute or whether to find someone guilty, uh, in the back of your mind is the threat that if you don't do what Black Lives Matter wants, they're going to burn down your city. Uh, and uh, there are a number of cases where the recommendation was not to prosecute uh, or the the uh, original... Uh, 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 autopsy report was, you know, no wrongdoing, and then they went back in and changed their mind because they didn't want, presumably, to, uh, to have their, their town burned down. Uh, so uh, it, it, this is just, it, there's nothing about Black Lives Matter as an organization that I find attractive. As you mentioned, the cause of Black Lives Matter is tremendously important, which is exactly why we need to strengthen and improve our law enforcement. In these uh, uh, in these communities, you know, uh, most murders in America, year after year, occur in two percent of our counties, and those those two percent generally are inner city, big city, uh, poor neighborhoods that have a disproportionate number of blacks. Uh, and if you are a young black male born in Chicago or many of these other cities you are going to be preyed upon by street gangs unless you can join a gang. The incentives to join a gang to stay alive are powerful. Uh, And, you know, we need to address that as a nation. This is, again, not it's true that they're murdering mostly black people, but it's an American problem. Uh, the overwhelming majority of American blacks are understandably outraged when they're, you know, doctors, lawyers, school teachers, nurses, whatever, and they're stopped by the cops for driving while black. But we need to understand that because of the disproportionate number of crimes committed by some blacks, uh, that does leave the police does lead the police to uh, uh, to, uh, you know, to to focus on uh, on blacks and enforcing the law and that has to change but uh it should not change in such a way that we allow bad guys to go free and 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 to commit other crimes and and murder other black people
1: very well put um i've been studying communism all my life too that was part of my job in intelligence uh i know marxism like the back of my hand and i found it astounding that the leaders of Black Lives Matter have already admitted, that they are trained Marxists. Now, if anybody wants to read what Marxism is, they need to. Um, We have a big, big problem in America right now with Marxism. Uh, Also, Karl Marx said that certain people are going to be used to uh, bring Marxism to different countries, and he called them useful idiots, Yep. Um, so it's uh, you may have to take a look at some of the useful idiots around here. And also found it stunning that 81% of the black communities want more police in their neighborhoods and their areas. They they are disgusted. And anyway, all right, let me ask you this.
2: Yeah, that should not There's be surprising, one, by the way, since they're the victims of this crime.
1: Well, that's true, too. Now, what about the protests? we got protests going on all the time now. Uh, strangely, not as bad as it was when, when Trump was in power, but they sort of backed off once Biden got in power. But there's a lot of protests organized by the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Uh, do you find any of them persuasive?
2: Well, there are some very tragic cases, but their first case, they were actually formed. Uh, in protest to the uh, not guilty verdict of Zimmerman uh, who, who uh, shot Trayvon Martin. Now, we know a lot about this. First of all, we know the jury had to find him guilty by uh, clear and, inc- sorry, by, by beyond reasonable doubt of all the elements of the crime. They did not have a lot of input. They did have uh, Zimmerman, who survived, saying, that he was out on neighborhood watch which everyone agrees he saw martin walking on the rain apparently looking into you know about, uh, porches and things uh... and became concerned he called nine one one they told him to break off not to follow him he claims he did that but that zimmerman had seen him and circled around and confronted him uh... and attacked him uh... the police report said he had uh... Uh, uh, uh lacerations on his uh, on his uh, face and the back of his head, his jacket was wet like he had been on the ground because it was raining uh the, uh, the, the medical uh, doctor examined him and said he had a broken nose uh you know very you know, various other injuries consistent with his story that he had been attacked that doesn 't prove he was attacked, but it certainly should have convinced convinced a jury that he was not guilty beyond reasonable doubt and that is the legal standard and the idea that you would try to burn down the city uh or or you know conduct violent protests because a jury with very limited information did not find someone guilty in the absence of any serious evidence that he was guilty is absurd. Michael Brown, we keep hearing this hands up don't shoot and there were witnesses who said he had his hands in the air when he was shot. Uh, there were three autopsies of Michael Brown, uh, one of them at the request of his family. All three said there was DNA, Brown's DNA was on the gun, the officer's gun, and on the inside of his police cruiser. And therefore, they concluded that the first shot was fired when Brown was leaning in the police car, the, officer, the, uh, the, the officer's uh, the cruiser, trying to grab his gun. Uh, it later turned out that witnesses who had said he shot an unarmed man who was had his hands in the air uh, acknowledged that, in fact, when the lethal shots were fired, Brown was rushing the police officer. And that also fit the evidence. They had DNA on the ground uh, further away from the police cruiser, and then he was, his body was you know 20 or 30 feet closer to the police cruiser. So that was totally bogus. Uh, uh let's see, uh, one of the sad cases is Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy who had a toy uh, uh, airsoft pistol that was a, a, a replica, dead, a spinning image of a 1911A1 uh, a, you know, automatic, semi-automatic pistol, which I carried in Vietnam, both chores, a uh, very deadly weapon. Uh, But what the the critics did not say and probably did not know is that based upon Center for Disease Control information, Tamir Rice was more than twice the weight of the average 12-year-old and within one inch of the height of the average American adult male. He did not look like a 12-year-old. The civilian uh, who saw him pointing this apparently real gun at people in the park called it in and he later said he thought this was a you know 18 to 20 year old uh you know uh uh a uh, 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 young man not a 12 year old boy uh there was an fbi agent in the park who hurt off off duty who heard the shots and rushed to the scene and administered first aid trying to save rice's life uh he later uh this is just shocking He estimated the height and weight, and he was exactly to the inch right on the height. He only saw this kid laying on the ground. He wasn't able to look at him, but he's shorter than I am or taller. And he was five pounds off in his estimate of the weight. And he estimated the age to be, you know, pushing 20. Uh, So, you know, this idea that, oh, the cops just murdered a 12-year-old boy. The other thing is... Uh, when the cops the cops got a call saying a guy with a gun in the park, there had been a spike in crime in Cleveland uh, that year, and they pulled up. Uh, uh, when they drove up, the the gun was on the table, on a picnic table. Uh, Rice picked it up and put it in his belt. As they got out of the car, they pointed their guns at him and they screamed, "Show me your hands! Show me your hands!" And instead, he grabbed for the gun. And they shot him, which is exactly what I would have done had I been in that situation. They were about 10 to 15 feet away from him. A, uh, a forty-five caliber at that range can be very lethal. Even if they had on vest, their heads weren't protected, their, 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 their groins and legs weren't protected, and they had a second or so to make a decision. So this was a tragic situation. But you know uh, what happened was somebody had taken the orange piece of plastic from the muzzle of the toy gun, so it looked like a real gun and, and it was tragic, but this was not a reason to burn down the city. Uh, uh, Brianna Taylor, another case, a very nice young lady who was studying to be an EMT, and uh, the police knocked on our door but what people don't always know is that the police went to a judge and got a warrant a no knock warrant and then they decided let's go ahead and knock but apparently taylor was asleep upstairs and didn't hear the knock they knocked in the door kicked in the door and at that point her new boyfriend started shooting at them and so they returned fire and she was caught in the crossfire and it was a tragedy But again, this is a kind of thing that happens in law enforcement, and people make the best decisions they can based on what's happening. And shooting back when somebody's shooting at you, and you're told you're breaking into a house where there's a major drug dealer. uh, Again, you know we we should all feel sorry for her, but uh, you know, and in this case, uh, at least one of the cops was 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 disciplined because he uh, did not verify his target. You know, he he just returned fire. Uh, you know, into a dark room something. But uh, that's, you know, again, yeah, people make mistakes, but that's not evidence of some conspiracy to, uh, to, to hurt the black community.
1: I understand. Okay, uh, folks, we're going to our last break. We'll be right back. Uh, we're going back to Saigon uh, and compare it to what's going on today in Afghanistan. We'll be right back. Okay, folks, we are back with Vietnam Veteran, Lawyer, and Professor Bob Turner. Bob, uh, great comments before the break, but you visited Vietnam for the fifth time in April of 1975 and witnessed the final evacuation from Saigon. We're now watching the evacuation of Afghanistan. Do you see any parallels?
2: Uh, There are tremendous parallels, and and they just... Watching the video in the last few days has just brought tears to my eyes. I remember uh, watching the terror in the eyes of South Vietnamese people as we were abandoning them. Remember, the United States pledged its national honor to protect the people of Indochina, South Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Uh, Congress, by a margin of 99.6%, passed an authorization for the use of military force. And then it got tired of the war and was uh, uh, subjected to some very uh, intelligent uh, communist propaganda. And so they prohibited using treasury funds uh, for combat operations by U.S. forces. Uh, When that happened, the enemy was on the ropes both moscow and beijing had cut their aid and told hanoi to make peace when the congress pulled the plug and snatched defeat from the jaws of victory uh the soviets and chinese upped their aid dramatically uh Pham van dong the premier of north vietnam announced with a smile the americans won't come back now even if we offered them candy uh and the the, the frightened faces you see on these videos the uh i don't know if you remember or not but uh uh, Ross Perot sent his own plane to Denang to rescue people, and, as they tried to take off, there were hundreds of South Vietnamese trying to cling to the landing gear so they could get away from the communists uh, the, uh, uh, you know we, we left behind in both cases incredible amounts of high tech equipment uh, airplanes you know uh, weapons, all sorts of stuff. Uh, that's going to wind up in the hands of bad guys. Some of the more sophisticated stuff will probably be turned over to the Chinese and the Russians to be reverse-engineered. Uh, uh, this is And the, the sad thing is, if you look at the data, uh, you have to go back at least three years to, to find 100 American uh, military casualties in this conflict. This was not like... You know, we were our guys were getting slaughtered left and right. We, you know, we, we, they, there were still a lot of problems, and there were going to be a lot of problems. We had allies who were helping us, and we betrayed them as well. And it, it's like we don't know what's going to happen. There are going to be beheadings. There are already stories of 12-year-old girls being raped or being turned over to uh, uh, Taliban militants as, quote, wives. Uh, this is a crime. These young girls, we gave promise to. We let them go to school. We told them, you have a future, a bright future. You can be a part of your, of your country's government and so forth. And then Joe Biden said, oh, I'm tired of this. I want to I I get rid of it. And he pulled the plug. And now those little girls' lives are at stake. They're not going to get an education. They're going to be sexually abused. And uh, we, we are uh, creating a haven we're going to have al-Qaeda, three back in power, almost certainly, ISIS, uh, and, uh, and we have also told the world America cannot be relied upon to protect you. I actually visited Taiwan in 1976 as part of a congressional delegation, and I, uh, there was a newspaper report that quoted me, as warning, they should not rely rely upon the United States for their protection. We're not a reliable ally. I probably shouldn't have said it, but I was very angry at that point, and uh, I'm glad I said it now, because they're going to be victims. I think we're going to have the Chinese testing us with more uh, intervention in Hong Kong, with uh, perhaps an invasion or other efforts to get control of Taiwan. Uh, It's a... uh, uh, You know, we're not thinking about the other repercussions. You know, after the communists took over in Indochina, they they probably killed more people in the first three years and died in fourteen years of war throughout the region. Uh, Yale University did a major study called the Cambodia Genocide Project, and they estimated that more than twenty percent of the people of Cambodia had died under Pol Pot—one point seven million people. Another million or so were killed in South Vietnam or died as boat people trying to flee the country and so forth. The Soviet Union took off the gloves. For decades, they had told Central American or Latin American Communist parties, do not go to armed struggle, you will be crushed by the Americans. They told the Communist movements in Central and South America, it's okay to go to armed struggle. That gave us revolutions in El Salvador, uh, Nicaragua they got control of, Costa Rica, Honduras, uh, you name it. Uh, And by the way, Moscow shipped U.S. weapons we had abandoned in Vietnam to Cuba, where they were then sent to Nicaragua and smuggled into El Salvador. Eighty percent of the M-16s we captured from guerrillas, FMLN guerrillas in El Salvador, were traced back. Two weapons we left behind in Vietnam. So you know uh, the Soviets uh, transported nearly fifty thousand Cuban so-called volunteers into Angola to help take over that country uh, prior to a, a free election that was scheduled to uh, reunif- to, uh, to unify it uh, after the Portuguese pulled out. Uh, the uh, in Central America. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. The Soviets invaded Afghanistan, creating the Taliban. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I would add that bin Laden in 19, uh, 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 1998 told a UPI reporter in Afghanistan that the American pullouts in Vietnam, Somalia, and Beirut showed the Americans cannot accept casualties and that clearly was a factor in the decision to his on 911. Uh, so I, I would also credit the uh, uh, the anti-war movement uh, with the 911 attacks and the subsequent casualties and the war against terror. So, uh, uh, yeah. but uh, uh, you know, I, I just feel like things are going to get much worse. The human rights situation. you know, we, the, the left used to say, "Oh, if we just cut off aid." Human rights will will, will prosper in Vietnam. Well, to me, the the best human rights group in the country is Freedom House. They publish an annual Freedom in the World survey that evaluates every country in the world on its political and civil liberties. And in 1978, two years after the communists unified Vietnam, they said that communist Vietnam was less free than China, about the same as Korea, Korean's North Uh, That's what happened to human rights in Vietnam, and uh, uh, I I just feel like we have no idea what we have set in force. Uh, We have betrayed our word again. We have betrayed the sacrifices of every American who serves in Afghanistan. And and for what reason? We, We were losing, you know, like 10 American soldiers a year, Now, every one of them had wives or they had families and loved ones and their lives have tremendous value but what's going to happen as a result of this is going to dwarf that and we are likely to have to repurchase our national credibility with the lives of more young men and women and that is a tragedy
1: yes sir it is Um, we're going to run out of time here Bob but uh, I've I've been watching Afghanistan too we went in there 20 years ago and that's a long time but 5% of the country in Afghanistan had electricity. Now they have 95%. They have an entire generation of especially women who are now 20, 25 years old who have never, never been under the Taliban rules. They've been basically pretty free, going to school and everything else. That's all going to change. And what blew my mind is that we deserted and left Bagram Air Force Base, which was secure, had five runways, and now we're trying to operate out of Kabul, which has one runway. It just doesn't yeah, And we,
2: we, we also, if we had done this in February, at least the snow would have delayed the Taliban's response. Uh, we we did it, you know, at the easiest time for them to take over the entire country uh, you know, and it's uh, trying to blame it on the Afghan soldiers. By every account I've heard, the Afghan military performed very well and suffered very high casualties in their struggle against the Taliban. But they, the Taliban is a ruthless organization. It, it not only cuts off the heads of its enemies, but their relatives as well. Uh, and the Taliban apparently told the Afghan soldiers, if you just go home and tend to your flocks, we won't, uh, we won't hurt you. And, uh, you know, the odds that they were going to win were incredibly high. Uh, and uh, I, I just, you know, this is on Joe Biden's doorstep. Uh, there were a lot of mistakes made over the decades in Afghanistan. Uh, people say, oh, well, we shouldn't have troops there. We still have troops in uh, 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 Japan, uh, Germany, uh, South Korea. Uh, and every now and then, somebody gets killed. Uh, but uh, b- b- you know, the world would be a hell of a lot worse place if we had not tried to keep the peace around the world. And
1: uh, um, Bob, I'm going to have to have you back one day to continue a lot of conversations. I got about 30 more questions to ask you. All right, uh, right, uh, But all right. But we're, we're going to. I'm going to ask a quick one here, and hope you got time to answer it. Consider everything's going on in America right now. With the Mar- will the Marxist communist movement win?
2: It's an easy question, and the answer is what do the American people do? If the American people sit on their hands and say, "Oh, this is none of my business," or "I don't care," or "I'm too busy trying to make money," or whatever, they're going to win. They're good. They they have a, a game plan that has worked before. And and I'm led, I'm reminded of, as you know, I I worked in the Reagan White House from 81 to 84, and I absolutely loved Ronald Reagan. And when he took his first oath of office in California, January of 1967, his his, uh, inaugural address, let me just quote you a couple of sentences. He said, freedom is a fragile thing, and is never more than one generation away from extinction.